World's Finest Podcast, Episode 84. I am James Doe, and with me as always is my ever-so-benevolent co-host, Michael David Sims. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I think, yeah, I guess that's good, sure. Okay, I'm confused now. Don't be. I can never remember if benevolent is good or not. <laughs> yes, yes it is. So I was like, malevolent okay, is, yeah. is the bad one. Just remember, Maleficent from Sleeping Beauty. Ah, uh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, she's hot. Ooh. Uh, okay. Anyway. <laughs> Isn't she the one that's, like, all gothed out and in purple and yeah, black? she's, she's, got she's like, the witch dragon thing. Yeah, I've got, uh, you know who J. Scott Campbell is, the comic book artist? He did, like, uh, Gen 13 yeah, and, yeah. like, okay. There's a drawing that he did of her, which is, like, oh, like, sweet. <laughs> so, maybe I'll post it on my, I almost posted it on my Facebook the other day. Maybe I'll do it uh, before this episode finally airs. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. But anyways, how are you? Um doing better i we couldn't record this the first time because i had a very nasty sinus infection and it really only affected me for one day which is kind of weird but i'm not complaining (laughs) at least it went away (laughs) yeah exactly exactly i mean i posted that thing on uh the main page of earth Two saying oh you know due to a sinus infection the show is going to be delayed and uh, someone sent me a private message saying oh mike i'm sorry you're sick and i'm like i never said i was the one that got sick But, you know, even though it was directed at me and it should have been directed towards James, you know, I'm sure James is appreciative uh, of the well wishes there. Of course. <laughs> yeah. I wish I could remember who sent that. It might have been uh, uh, Fate. I think it might have been him, but I'm, I'm not sure. I don't remember. Yeah, we have an email from him here, too. <laughs> oh, yeah, we do. We do. Uh, speaking of which, do you just mind if we get into the voicemails and emails? Not at all. Uh, okay. Uh, well, yeah, I was, was going to say, we're going to play the voicemail first. Okay. And uh, then we'll get into the email. So here we go. Hello, guys. This is Kevin from Florida. And, uh, yes, there was a text the other week where um, where I could have sworn it was actually Tim Drake as Robin. But uh, thanks for answering that question for me. Anyways, I'm calling in response to Episode 3 of WFP. And um, uh, I just wanted to thank you so much for the, for pointing out the fact that Massimino's, they, they say inappropriate stuff in Spanish. And, you know, I get the fact that it's a joke and they speak another language and the character's they understand that, but, you know, they reply, they respond to them in English. And I hear that stuff all the time in, like, cartoons and radio that, you know, stuff that would never get past the censors if it were said in English. Um, the Proud Family is another, another example of that, which leads me to believe that, you know, censors don't speak Spanish and, um, and the writers know that. But anyway, on to my questions. Was this, was, uh, you know, if Teen Titans were, was ever broadcast in Spanish, and if, if so, how did they handle the different language joke? And the second question is, can you compare Mossy Minnows to Speedy Gonzalez? Now, Speedy was pulled for the whole politically correct thing and insensitivity. Decades later, you have Mossy Minnows, which, which is a slightly similar concept, but different treatment. So are they similar or am I totally off base there? 
Just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Love the show. Bye. Uh, so, so James, uh, what about the Speedy Gonzalez Masimenos thing? What do you think there? I mean, looking back at it, Speedy Gonzalez really is kind of, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I... I, now, I don't think the character should be pulled. Or if he has been pulled, I think that was a bad move. You know, was it? Was it? You know, was it kind of tasteless? Sure, it 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 it, it, it kind of was. Okay. But it was still there. We can't deny that it happened. You know, so I, I don't think the character should have been yanked. But when it comes to Masimenos, do you do you think they're a bad stereotype or are they something else? Me personally, I'm not the like a prude when it comes to political incorrectness because I think mm-hmm. it's it's so overblown in society now that I get nauseous when I see things like people bitching about how something is uh, racially insensitive when mm. from my point of view you want to make fun of white guys go for it I don't care yeah. you know it, yeah. we do stupid shit everybody does right. stupid shit and uh, this whole Speedy Gonzales thing I thought was stupid from day one um, have a sense of humor about yourself please seriously I, I just I can't stand political correctness in any form it's it's nothing but um, censorship it really is when you get down to it. That That's a good point. And, you know, when, when it comes to, like, Speedy Gonzalez specifically, I don't think that... Uh, that was a Warner Brothers character, correct? Yeah. Or was that yeah, it was Looney, Looney Tunes. Looney Tunes? Looney Tunes was Warner Brothers, right? Like, I think that if who's ever doing it is going out of their way to be mean-spirited and, are, you know, like, truly mean-spirited, then, yeah then yeah, maybe we should look at that and go, really, is that what you want to do? But Speedy Gonzalez, there was no malicious intent in there. He was a hero. He was <laughs> he was a hero, and he was kind of clever, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, like I said, you know, he might have been a little questionable, you know, in terms of taste, but it still wasn't, it wasn't meant to be mean. Was it stereotypical with the sombrero and the arriba, arriba? Yeah, yeah, sure it was. Okay, absolutely. But there, there was there was nothing mean meant behind it. Um, now Masimenos, no, I, I mean these are really strong, dynamic characters. You know they don't get as fleshed out as Robin or Beast Boy or the core five Teen Titans. But of the Titans East, they get the most depth. You know, and and yeah, they're Spanish, and yeah, they or where are they from? They're from Guatemala, right? I don't know off the top of my head. I'm I'm pretty sure it was said in a Titans in the Titans East episode that they were from Guatemala. Okay. Um you know, so yeah, yeah, they're they're foreign. Yeah, they they don't speak English except for that one episode where they do and they can't even understand themselves, which is quite a funny gag. But um you know, they're 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 heroic characters and they're putting a spotlight on on Latinos on 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 Guatemala. You know, they're saying that heroes just don't have to be white bread from America. They can be from anywhere in the world. And I don't think those characters are racially insensitive at all. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe I'm biased because they are pretty much my favorite characters in all of Teen Titans. <laughs> um, just recently, I was rewatching the two-part not finale of this series. <laughs> and, uh, you know, when those two get separated, I mean, my heart's breaking. When he realizes what's happened to his brother and he has to go save him. And then when they reunite, I'm all like, yeah, guys, go! <laughs> you know, and, and if those characters were meant to be just a joke. You know, just they were just there to make fun out of, of Latino culture. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't laugh at them. I'd roll my eyes at them and go, oh, God. 
but I'm not doing that. So no, I I I, I don't think um, it, they're they're racially insensitive at all. No, what do they do? They they're really fast and they run around and they speak Spanish. What what yeah. what is insensitive about that at all? In exactly. any possible way, pedestals set to the side here. Next email yeah. is from Christian. He writes, hey guys, to clarify from my last email, while most villains could be called douchebags, I agree with UrbanDictionary.com's definition of the term, that being someone who has surpassed the levels of jerk and asshole, but not yet reached fucker or motherfucker. Thus, mass murderers <laughs> like Slade, Brainiac, Darkseid, Lex Luthor, and the Joker are fuckers and motherfuckers, and while more petty villains, racist or heroes, uh, acting grossly out of character would be douchebags. I threw this idea at, at the forums because, or, and some of the other contenders I rattled off were Richie's racist dad, Ronnie Boxer, the guy who trained Ace as a fighting dog in Batman Beyond, Tony Zuko, the ambiguously, I mean, uh, Specs and Trapper, <laughs> and as Mike pointed out in last episode, Valior. Being a huge Monty Python fan, Revolution is one of my favorite episodes of Teen Titans. I'm not that crazy about either Can I Keep Him or Bunny Raven, the former for the same reasons that James, James hates it, and, not, and the latter not uh, only because of the way the Titans escape, but because Mumbo's song is terrible. On the other right. side of the spectrum, though, Cyborg's rendition of the Titans song in uh, Titans East is my favorite moment of the entire series. And I have a question which actually pertains to Batman Brave and the Bold that parallels Mike's question long ago whether Bruce was sleeping with Raish and Talia's body would be gay. Is, <laughs> is Babyface the infant-headed gangster appearing in the episode Night of the Huntress homosexual because his lover Mrs. Manface has the face of a man or heterosexual since she has the body of a woman? All the gear is female, so she's a woman. Yeah, just because her face is male doesn't make her male. That, that, that question totally threw me for a loop. <laughs> <laughs> and since I've seen very little of Brave and the Bold, I have no answer. Yeah, I don't know if I've seen that one. <laughs> I would have to seek that out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. Ahem. Anyways, I'm getting married next June. Yes, yes, mm -hmm. yes. To a woman, yes. Mm. Yes. <laughs> next email is from Robert, who writes, Hey, guys, it's me again. First off, congrats to Mike for falling from the noble ranks of bachelorhood to the nobler ranks <laughs> of groom-to-be. I wish you and your fiancé the best going forward. I wanted to give my thoughts on Season 3 and the Cyborg storyline. While it was good to see Cyborg confront his issues of self-importance and independence, not to mention the rise of the Titans East, I felt that Brother Blood was an overall dissatisfying villain with which to do so. He was just way too hammy for my taste, so much that it counteracted his creepy cybernetic transformation and even his impressive mind control powers. Additionally, as you guys pointed out, the Brother Blood cyborg conflict ends with a really cheesy and illogical, relatively speaking, deus ex machina. But there is one DCAU uh, dem that I hate even more. It involves a power suit, the dressy kind. I'm not sure what he's talking about there, actually. Is he talking about the end of... Justice League Unlimited, where Lex just magically appears in his suit and says, pardon me, sorry I'm late, I had to go get my power suit. Maybe it is. That's the only, th That's the only thing I can think of, but I don't know how it would be a deus ex machina. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. Right back in and, and clarify what you're saying there. In episode 82, both of you are pondering the best standalone episode of the show. I humbly submit Birthmark as Teen Titans' finest half hour. Well, I've said my piece. Till my next email, take care, you two. P.S. Ian Wilson is secretly Red X. <laughs> Oh, Wouldn't yeah. he be Mad Mod? I mean, <laughs> that's what I'd think. Yeah, you know. I mean, he he loves that character. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't? Mad Mod's great. Yeah, but he you know he thinks he's the hero, of course, in Revolution. <laughs> he is. He's British. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, Come on, I'm like DW. I'm a wannabe Brit. Yeah, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Next one's from Kevin, who writes, Hey, Mike and James, as much as it pains me to say it, I found a small plot hole in Fractured. When Robin tells Raven to fix Larry's finger, she says that uh, she doesn't want to risk it because mixing her powers with another dimension could damage reality even further. This doesn't make much sense because Raven herself is from another dimension. If what she said is true, shouldn't reality already be damaged every other time she uses her magic? You know, I see what you're saying there, but I think you're misinterpreting what she's saying in that episode. She's talking about if she mixes her magic with Larry's magic, in our world, it would cause things to go kablooey. I mean, think about it. Her magic in our world never makes things go kablooey. And Larry's magic, yeah, it screws things up at some point, but nothing really goes kablooey. It's pretty harmless until that one point. That's not making. That's not doing anything to our dimension. But when you mix the two, it'd be like crossing the streams in Ghostbusters. End of the world... All that stuff. All right. Next one's from Corey, who writes, Hey, guys, I love the show. I just wanted to get your opinions on them using Dick and Wally as Robin and Kid Flash on the Young Justice cartoon instead of Tim and Bart. Looking forward to you guys starting season four. Yeah, what are you thinking about that? Uh, I don't know, because I, 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 I'm, this is just one of those things I'm going to wait and see. Yeah, I, I'm taking the wait and see stance. I mean, yeah, I like Young Justice the way it was in the comics. Tim, Bart... Connell. I like it. But, you know, I'm a big fan of Dick Grayson. We all know that. Wally West is my favorite character in Justice League slash Justice League Unlimited. Um, and uh, Connell, I, th- I think when he's written well, I didn't mean to rhyme there, um, he is a brilliant character. So, pretty much as long as we have Robin, Kid Flash, and the Connell Superboy on screen at the same time, I'm going to be pleased. Uh, you know, of course, it's different from the comic book continuity, but, you know, it's it's not the comic book. So, you know, as, as James said, and I echo, let's, let's take that wait-and-see approach. All righty. Um, do you mind if I jump in with that email I couldn't forward to yeah, you? Go ahead. Okay, as I just mentioned there, for some reason I couldn't forward this one email to James. Uh, so I'm just going to read it here. Uh, let's see. This one is from Leela, and she says, Mike and Jim. After viewing Under the Red Hood... Oh, 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 that, that reminds me. I'm, I'm totally interrupting myself here. What I want everybody to do is go to earth2.net and look for Dread Media episode 156. In that, our friend uh, Desmond Reddick... I just stammered over his name and I called him our friend. That, that's great. It'd be like saying, um, um, Ian Wilson? Yeah, that's his name. Yeah, okay. So anyways, go, go to earth2.net, look for Dread Media episode 156. In that, Des and his buddy Daryl, they reviewed Batman Under the Red Hood in that episode. I mean, normally they cover you know horror stuff in Dread Media, but they, you know, they were just branching out a little uh, in this episode. So yes, 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 go listen to that. Anyways, back to this email. After viewing Under the Red Hood, I have a crackpot theory about Batman 3. I believe Rachel Ghoul will return, and he was pulling Joker's strings throughout Dark Knight. I think he found the Joker as a punk in prison like he did with Bruce in Batman Begins, and he was the one to erase his past and gave him all his toys to play with. Joker himself said it's all part of the plan, but said that he's not a plan guy and just makes it up as he goes along. Joker calls himself a dog chasing a car, well just who set the dog loose? Rachel Ghoul. And now it's personal, and he sets Joker loose on Gotham and the man who dared to defy him. As he said and begins, when someone betrays you, you come up behind them and stab them in the heart. 
Rachel's, Rachel's death may have been may have been meant to impact Bruce even more so than Dent's. Rachel Ghoul's plan is to bring order to a chaotic world, and the best way to do that would be to have the Joker bring chaos to the orderly world, or to an orderly world, I should say. We don't need to have Raish as the main villain, though. He could be secondary like Two-Face, no pun intended. How about him sending one of his best assassins to Gotham? Maybe Deathstroke or Bane. I don't care, but it would be awesome. Also, if Batman visited Arkham, we could get a cameo of Joker just glaring at Batman saying, Hey there. It would be a travesty to see the Joker recast as a main villain, but an out-of-focus cameo would be fine in my book. And then what she does is she links us to a picture of Joseph Gordon-Levitt, I think is how his name is pronounced, um, that someone photoshopped to put him in the Joker makeup. And he does look a lot like Heath Ledger's Joker in this image. If I remember, I'll post this image over at the forums. Uh, she then says, thoughts, and signs it with a heart, and Leela. And then she says, P.S., congrats to Mike, that's me, on your engagement. And Jim, I hope your troubles with your new home are resolved. <laughs> so what do you think about that theory about Raish found the Joker in jail, just like he did Bruce, and set him loose on Gotham City? She, she brings up a lot of good points. If, you know, the Joker saying, it's all part of the plan, but I'm not a plan guy. Uh, something's going on there. Yeah. I, I think it's a great theory. Everything works, and mm -hmm. uh, that would be super hellified interesting. I'm, you know, I'd like it to be Raish. Absolutely, I would. But bringing him back is going to be hard, because I, I just don't see them doing the Lazarus pits. And how did he ex uh, survive that explosion? I mean, sure, you could say he got out of the train, but really, mm, I don't know how much time there would have been to do that. So I'm not nixing the idea, but I'm suggesting, what if it's Talia to getting revenge on Bruce by letting the Joker loose, killing Rachel? He killed or didn't save, at the very least, her father, and she set someone out that ended up killing, you know, this, this white knight, the, the district attorney, Harvey Dent, and Rachel, two people he really, really cared for. So, I mean, it could be Raish, but I think I'd rather see Talia, mainly because I just want a, a, really a female villain that isn't Catwoman. Yeah. Because Catwoman, oh, really? I, she just does not work as a main villain in a Batman story because she's too, no. you know, she's too uh, in the middle, so to speak. Exactly, exactly, yeah. Yeah, I, th I think I think what we heard there is a, is a really great theory. And, you know, as for the Joker just making a sort of out-of-focus cameo, I think one of us actually suggested that on a pretty early episode of WFP. I believe that you know? was you. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it was. And uh, I'm I'm all for that. You know, there's no reason they couldn't use di digital technology to, uh, you know, you know, take some, maybe even some deleted footage from The Dark Knight and digitally map in uh, Heath Ledger's head behind some bars and get someone who can really do his voice to just have one or two lines or maybe just some cackling as uh, Batman walks through Arkham. Right, next one's from Dylan writes, Hey guys, uh, congrats on the engagement, Mike. I recently listened to Earth2.net, the show number 412, after they, after finally getting my hands on the Batman Beyond comic and was surprised at your thoughts. I can't believe that you didn't like it. I loved it. Uh, yeah, it was focused all on Bruce's old villains, but they still had Spellbinder. I was wondering if you read the second issue, and if you did, I was wondering if you liked it any better. I didn't read the second issue. I didn't like the first one enough to continue. And it doesn't have Spellbinder. I'm sorry. The, the book opens with Spellbinder getting knocked out. I mean, that's it. Which, it's not which like... I, I know from our reviews of, on WFP, you got quite sick and tired of. <laughs> right. I mean, 
Maybe there's a little more to it than him just getting knocked out. Maybe there was a little chase. I'm not remembering at this point, but I'm pretty sure opening splash page is him getting punched in the face. Um, you know, and, and then it all focuses on all these other villains that are Bruce's villains. And that's not a Batman Beyond story then. You know, that's, 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 that's a, some, that's something else. So, no, that's, using Spellbinder is just their way of giving Batman Beyond fans just a little fan service. You're saying, oh, see, here, here, here's one of his villains. Now we're going to tell this other story that you really don't care about. But hey, we've, we've baited you with, with this. No, no, that, that, that's not how it should work. All right. Last one today is from, uh, Josh, uh, who goes by fate on the forums. Uh, uh Hello, Mike and James. First, I, I have observed a number of people who seem irritated that Robin is too dark and intense in Teen Titans, complaining that he often acts more like Batman than Robin. I would argue that this is actually an accurate depiction of what happens in relationship dynamics. Robin admires Batman and has learned everything from him, and when he is taught with, uh, with Batman, he plays a softer role, being the voice that takes a bit of the edge off of Batman's worldview. When Batman is not present, however, he approaches issues the same way he was taught by his mentor. He becomes darker, more ruthless, and less flexible, believing after working with Batman so long that this is the way it works. It is the leadership style he learned, and when he, rather than Batman, is the leader, it's the way he chooses. This can be some, uh, seen somewhat in the comics as well. While Nightwing is not as dark as Batman, he's certainly darker on his own than he was when he was playing partner to Batman. Second, I have to address something that has been bugging me for some time in that is the issue of technology and the look of Gotham and BTAS. It came up in your last podcast, so I can't stay silent any longer. When I first watched the series, my opinion was that BTAS was in an alternate reality where technology had just developed a bit differently from us, which would explain computers alongside 1940s-style cars. However, this was all changed by the expansion of the DCAU, none of which shared this look, including our limited future views of Gotham. My conclusion, and I'd hate to say it, is so painfully clear to me that I'm dumbfounded as to why no one else has suggested this. BTAS's look is very stylized. It's the only way to look at it. I'm sorry, but you seriously, you can't not seriously argue to me that while two reporters for the Daily Planet live in completely modern apartments, one of the world's richest playboys is watching a black-and-white television that looks like it came off the set for, of Leave it to Beaver. Aside from that rather idiotic conclusion, you would have to uh, explain why a high school football team in Teen Titans wears fully modern equipment, but a game between two major universities in Gotham features leather helmets and no face masks. This clearly makes no sense at all if taken at face value. From the moment Superman was established to be in the same universe as BTAS, and from the change in style it brought to the DCAU, I simply understood BTAS to be stylized in look to capture the mob rule dark feel of Batman. I watch the series understanding that I'm supposed to mentally translate the technology. Bruce, does, Bruce Wayne doesn't watch black and white televisions. Football players in the 1990s aren't wearing leather helmets without face masks. The men don't always wear suits and hats, and the women don't always dress like June Cleaver. The look is there for effect, and the series becomes utterly nonsensical if the stylized look is taken at face value. Continuity and rationality as well as sanity require us to make a mental adjustment and understand that the look of the series is stylistic and Gotham, while being grimier than Metropolis, has the same style of dress, technology, and social rules as its more glamorous cousin city because it exists in the same society at the same time. Now that my rant is over, I want to tell you guys I love your show. It has been enjoyable to listen to, and I feel that, though I don't really know either of you personally, you have in a way become my friends with your podcast keeping me company through long, boring nights at work. I love your humor. I love your honest opinions. And I appreciate that uh, you both admit when you're doing wrong, when you are wrong about something. I want to pay you an additional compliment I haven't heard yet as well. I can't tell exactly tell your political social views from your show, and I think you have done a marvelous job of that. I think I have an idea based on various comments, 
And I don't mean to imply that you're hiding anything. Rather, I am complimenting you on respecting that fans of the DCAU come from numerous political and social views, and you do nothing to turn off fans who might have differing views from you. A great example is when both of you, while confessing to be atheists, applauded the well-done and subdued religious message way back when you reviewed It's Never Too Late, the episode about Rupert Thorne and his priest brother. I'm sure this has been a deliberate decision from two such opinionated guys, and I want you to know I think it was a great decision, and I very much appreciate that. Looking forward to all your future work, guys. Thanks for the many hours of alleviating my boredom. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, I mean, our political views have come up from time to time. But no, we've never really gotten deep into them. I mean, it, it really boils down to the fact that this isn't the type of program where it should come up. When it is appropriate, like I said, it does from, from you know, once in a while. But, you know, we just, yeah don't really go into it i don't know what else to say about that (laughs) (laughs) it's a podcast about cartoons so where's politics come in in that shouldn't (laughs) exactly exactly um now uh i'm not going to say anything about the whole btas continuity thing because i don't want to start another fire i mean we're we can see the finish line we're almost there (laughs) you know i don't want to start another continuity argument i know (laughs) so james if you want to chime in you do it i just don't know what to say (laughs) no (laughs) uh, you know i i joking all joking aside i will say thank you very much for um you know that that well thought out uh, uh email there that was uh thank you very much so um now the first part about it uh about robin what you also have to keep in mind is we don't know exactly what happened, but we know Robin and Batman had a falling out. And that's what led him to go out west and uh, inadvertently ended up forming the Titans. Um, so he's still angry and bitter. And so he's probably, he's got this little chip on his shoulder. Um, and I, I absolutely agree with what you're saying. You know, when he's with Batman, he's lighthearted. But when he's alone, yeah, he's 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 darker. He's trying to prove himself. He's stepping out of Batman's shadow and... He thinks that he has to be all grim and gruff and puffing out his chest uh, to, to to do that. I mean, think about think about it. He is the only, I hate to say this, the only true human on that team. Starfire's an alien, Raven's a demon, or at least part demon, Cyborg's a, well, a cyborg, and Beast Boy's some sort of mutant. They all have powers except him. So he probably thinks he has to overcompensate by by being a little bossy, being a little gruff from time to time, in order to lead them. That's my take on it. What about you? I think that's a perfect way to sum it up, because okay. he's, he is really the only normal person there in any aspect, or any and every yeah. aspect. And think about who raised him, so he's really yeah. not normal at all. Yeah. <laughs> but I know what you mean, in terms of powers and strength and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everybody else has got him trumped. I mean, even Beast Boy. Beast Boy in his humanoid form, obviously, is weaker than Robin. But, I mean, he can be a gorilla, he can be a dinosaur, an elephant, a whale if he wants. You know, he he could truly be the strongest member on that team. Yep. Um, you know, and, and but Robin has to lead all of them. So, yeah, yeah, it makes some sense for him to have a little uh, attitude from time to time. Bloody fools! No one can stop the sound of chaos! Listen up! Those sonic waves are coming from his guitar! We gotta shut him down! What? I said shut him down! Oh, okay! <laughs> First up today is the Lost episode of Teen Titans. This is just a 12-minute little half episode, basically. Um, what happens here is we have the the small orchestra performing um, when a rather 
loud Sex Pistols fan jumps into the performance, uh, jamming a super-powered Stratocaster that starts sending out these sonic shock waves and just causing chaos all over the place. Um, so they actually get a, uh, we still get the uh, the opening theme song, and after it's done, uh, the Titans are just shown enjoying their day in their various ways. And Beast Boy walks in with a boombox and is annoying the shit out of everybody. And he decides to make it even louder by plugging it into the main power frame of the tower. And it overloads it, causes the tower's power to go out, but it does eventually kick back in. And they get the alert that uh, the bloke named Punk Rocket is <laughs> causing all this havoc at the uh, recital hall. And apparently he can fly on this guitar, too. And uh, when he knocks Raven and Starfire down, Starfire's like, why does he wish to hurt people with his music? Music is a glorious expression of happiness. And then Raven confirms that she listens to Nine Inch Nails in My Chemical Romance and <laughs> says, you clearly have never listened to any of my music. So Punk Rocket shows the true power of his guitar when he actually plugs the thing into like a gajillion amplifiers and just starts blasting away. And Beast Boy, who is having some rather nasty, waxy buildup in his ears, is the only one who is able to kind of withstand all this loud noise since his ears are all blocked up and he saves the day by making fun of this guy so much about his volume being too low and he ends dude ends up overloading all the speakers and destroying his guitar and uh they tie him up take him to jail and the episode ends back at the tower with everyone doing what they were doing earlier and beast boy comes in and with the boom box and uh he's like mock or taunting everybody but they're all had earplugs in that's that's it. Yeah. Um I think we're going to spend about 4 minutes on this. Um, that's that's rather generous. <laughs> I know. I mean, this is there, there's nothing to this. I mean, do you know why this was produced? What the hell was the deal with this thing? Not a clue. Yeah. Um I don't know. I guess I guess I'll read my notes on this one. Um here's something I don't get. And and it, it, it's made worse by the ending. Why do his sonic waves come from his guitar and not from like an amp? Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Well, see, that's a thing. Yeah, it's got to be. It, he can fly on it, so it's got to be some kind of superpower guitar made more powerful by the amplifiers. That's what they say. Right, but then why at the end? I mean, what causes the guitar to not do that anymore at the end when all the speakers blow up? I didn't understand that. <laughs> you know, I mean. You know, I mean, I'm willing to accept, you know, a cyborg, a demon, an alien, a, a changeling, a guy who has a magical remote control and can make the Titans walk through television, but I can't wrap my head around how this guitar got broken at the Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you have to say about this one? I mean, there's just nothing to I, say. Yeah, yeah, you said it right there. I have not a single note for this. I summarized <laughs> it, and that's about it. I don't have, I don't even have a grade for this. I don't even know if you can grade this. It's just yeah, it's I, just an action scene, and that's it. Yeah, I mean, I wrote a grade down only as you were synopsizing it. I realized I never graded this one. I mean, it's it's a villain that I think they made up for this half episode. I I don't think he was a Titans villain before this. Um, you know, and. It seems like it's based on that Starfire line you quoted, like it's pro-music propaganda, 
which is fine, whatever. You know, if this was created to get kids interested in music, I don't know how this would do it, but that's sort of what it seems like to me. Um, and this guy had a really of, awful British accent, too. Yeah, that was that was bad. And the framing sequence we've seen before, where they're all sitting around doing their things, and someone's playing really loud music, except last time it was Robin. Remember, he was the one sitting in front of the boombox? Mm-hmm. Um, I forget what Beast Boy was doing in that one, but and it's the same music from that one, I believe, too. I mean, th- there's nothing really original about this uh, episode. And I put episode in quotes here. It's just, it's just blah. He turned himself into a broadcast waveform, and now he's flipping around from channel to channel. Control Freak hasn't just escaped from jail. He's escaped from reality. Huh? Uh, guys... Cool. Got enough high-end equipment here to break half the laws of physics. Can you reverse the process? Pull them back out? Think so. I just need a little time to... Okay, so really first up today <laughs> is episode 257-494, a.k.a. Don't Touch That Dial. I think that's the a.k.a. part, mm-hmm. right? Don't Touch That Dial? Okay. In this one... Um, control freak. Uh, what the hell is he doing? He's, um... Doing his thing. (laughs) Yeah, he's doing his thing. Oh, yeah, Beast Boy, I think, is watching TV, and all of a sudden, uh, Control Freak comes on, and he starts saying, you know, there's nothing wrong with, or don't touch the vertical, don't touch the horizontal, whatever. I think that's the opening to, uh, the Outer Limits, uh, the old, uh, Twilight Zone-like program. Um, starts doing that spiel. And, uh, so Beast Boy's like, oh my god, guys, Control Freak was on the TV. Oh, no. So they're able to track him down, and uh, they they locate him at, like, an electronics store or something. Uh, but he's not there, and they quickly figure out he's actually in the TVs. Um, so they find this recording of him transporting himself into the TVs via this, like, giant demonic-looking, you know, remote control. Beast Boy's a dummy, and he presses a button, and they all end up getting zapped into the TVs. And, uh, so then, really, it's just them chasing Control Freak around through, you know, like, the creature from the Black Lagoon, Leave it to Beavers, you know, a Star Wars parody, all these different shows, uh, while he is sending, uh, monsters and aliens and villains after them to try to destroy them, and, uh, in the meantime, Control Freak learns, uh, karate in a very Matrix-style type way, uh, and uh, at the end of the day, on, like, the Death Star or something, uh, there's a big showdown between Beast Boy and Control Freak. And Control Freak, you know, he's got, like, sort of a samurai Darth Vader helmet on. He's got a double-bladed uh, lightsaber. Not double-bladed like Darth Maul, more almost like a just two-pronged Like sword. a Shatterstar-type sword with yeah, as a lightsaber. Exactly, exactly. And uh, he's doing all this fancy work with it. And uh, he's like, you can't beat me. And Beast Boy's like, yeah, well, you forget. I'm just as much geek as you. Uh, you know, and I know what beats whatever the hell he was supposed to be. And it's whatever the hell Beast Boy said. <laughs> and uh, and Beast Boy is able to beat, um, what's his face, Control Freak. And uh, they send his ass back to jail. And at the end, uh, Rave... Oh, and I should say, there was more to the threat than that. Um, they, they learned that Control Freak... Uh, had done something to the television waves or whatever the fuck they're called, the broadcast signal, to make people zombies, basically, if they watched for too long. So Robin kept yelling at the 
out through the TV screen for people to stop watching, but no one's listening. So, uh, you know, at the end of the day, Raven's all like, so what did we learn today? That TV's bad for you. And then I think it's Starfire who's like, yeah, but if it hadn't been for Beast Boy watching too much TV, we wouldn't have defeated the control freak. So we really didn't learn anything or something like that. And, and that's this one. In a nutshell, what were you thinking? <laughs> this is the greatest episode of anything ever. <laughs> Why do you say that? It's just fucking hilarious. Just, yeah. Like, from beginning to end. It's Okay, no, it's not the greatest episode ever. But I, I would watch this one just a- absolutely any time of any day. It's so fucking mm-hmm. funny. And not to yeah. show my hand, but uh, Wiley Coyote Beast Boy equals an automatic 10. <laughs> okay. Because Roadrunner, Roadrunner cartoons were, like, my favorite cartoons growing up. Oh, so, okay. So there you go. <laughs> I, yeah, I yeah. love this episode, and I don't have many notes for it. It's just because the whole thing is just nods to different TV shows and movies the whole time. So Yeah, I mean, dialogue is lifted, scenes are lifted. Characters. Um, characters, yeah, I mean, there's hom- there's homages, some subtle, some not. Um, I mean, we, there's no way in hell we could just name all of them. We'd be here for an hour just trying. Um, I was trying to look up an extensive list, and any list I found, I noticed ones that were missing. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if anybody has a true extensive list. Um, you know, I, I found myself watching this one out of enjoyment, too. I don't think I enjoyed it quite as much as you did, but I've seen this one a couple times, and I surely do like it. Um, but because I was watching it just to enjoy it, I yeah, I didn't really write anything down. But what I did write down is uh, I love Starfire's line. The control freak is a dork, yes? <laughs> Indeed. And then uh, there's, you know, when Beast Boy's trying to convince everybody in the beginning that he did see Control Freak on TV um, and they're not believing him, they then cut away to the news and it's like, oh, Control Freak's broken out of jail. And Control Freak, you know, he's holding that placard with his booking number and the booking number is 257-325. That's the episode number, the production code of Control Freak's first appearance, Fear Itself. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. So that that was a nice little thing they put in there. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, you you keep going about this one because I feel you have more to say about it than I. Well, I would like us to you know say a word or two for the death of Robin. He has uh, quite literally jumped the shark. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> another another awesome homage. <laughs> yeah, to, to Happy Days yep. for, the, for our listeners who are too young to and have never seen Happy Days. Um, I didn't even notice, I didn't even pick up on that's what that's from. Holy shit. Good one. Good one. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. And, I just, everything I have about this episode, the few notes I have are all just about the various, um, homages like fucking Ernst Blofeld from James Bond. Oh, that is great. But they also kind of, the way it's set, it's also sort of like an homage to the Godfather with, with the lighting and the kind of room it's in. You could even say Inspector so, Gadget too. Doctor yeah, Claw. well, with Dr. Claw, right. So, yeah, we're sort of getting a Blofeld, Godfather, Dr. Claw homage, all just bunched, balled <laughs> up into one thing. That's that's wild. Um, yeah, I mean, going into our coverage of Teen Titans, I was really kind of ho-hum about Control Freak, but, like, I think, th- is this his last appearance until the finale? Yeah, I believe it is. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's really grown on me. <laughs> <laughs> His episodes aren't meant to be taken super seriously. They're just no. they're just goofy 
shit happening everywhere. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love how Control Freak, like, used the Kamehameha wave against Beast Boy in the final battle. What is that? Dragon, that I'm is. sorry, from Dragon Ball Z. Goku. Oh, okay. I Ultimate mean, when, last thing. Okay, when Dragon Ball Z used to be on, uh, I almost said Comedy Central, on the Cartoon Network it was, you know, I, I would watch an episode or two, or I saw an episode or two, more than that. But I got bored pretty quickly because it seemed to me, and I'm not, I really don't mean to knock the show, I'm not pissing on its fans or anything, but to me it just seemed like each episode was like four minutes long with just a lot of delaying and power up, powering up, and yeah. just a lot of filler bullshit. Oh, yeah. And I was like, this 15-part so-called epic could have been like two episodes. Exactly. That's like um, the biggest, that is the biggest um, critique most people have of that entire show. Okay. Yeah, so, you know, that's why I could never get into it, hence the reason I didn't know that it was a Dragon Ball reference at the end. I wasn't sure what that was. I mean, I knew it was referencing something, but I didn't know what. Just as an aside on that, though, since we are all about tangents on Earth2.net podcasts, mm -hmm. um, the reason that Dragon Ball Z episodes dragged on like that was because they were actually ahead of the manga for some reason, oh, and they had to okay. waste time to let the manga <laughs> catch up to them and tell them what's going to happen next. Okay, okay. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Um, what else to say about this one? I mean, I, I, <laughs> I don't want this episode of WFP to be like 10 minutes long. I don't want us to just blow through these. Oh, don't worry. <laughs> We've got a uh, Slate episode coming up, so. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, oh, oh, Beast Boy eating the pancakes and the, the monster coming in. What does he say? Jeepers. Yes. <laughs> and then he's like, ooh, flapjacks. That'd be swell, Mom. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're just all these little things that really make this just... I know I mean, Kung really... Fu. Whoa. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I mean, Control Freak, I mean, yeah, he's in it. Yeah, he's the big bad villain. But it isn't really until the end that they dare to make him, like, the actual physical foe. Mm -hmm. Before that, he's using minions. You know, and, and that works because of the type of character he is. Mm -hmm. Um, he is going to do that, and he's, he's biding his time. And, you know, that's very much uh, a stereotype, not a stereotype, but a cliche of, of you know, the like action movies and cartoons and all that. You know, send out the minions, oh, they all fail, okay, I have to reveal that I have some special powers, I try to beat you up, and then the least likely hero comes and saves the day. The structure of this is very cliche, but they're playing on that for a reason. Mm -hmm. They're not just falling back on it to be lazy, they're falling back on it because that's the point. Absolutely. Um, I got to tell you, when Control Freak summoned, like, those three big bad villains to be, like, his main henchmen, the yeah. one Freddy Krueger-looking dude had that really pimptastic hat that Beast Boy ended up with. Beast Boy needs oh, to yeah. wear that in, like, every episode for the rest of yeah. the series because he look, it actually looked really good on him. It was yeah. it was pretty funny. Yeah, I love that hat. Because he got it during the Azerath... No, no, it was, uh, what was it called? Zinthos. Zinthos. There's a Zinthos medicine commercial yeah. or whatever it was. Which was, was a Gremlins vague. reference, too. Well, it's a, there's a ton, there's a, the whole Gremlins reference in there, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's obscenely vague, just like those stupid medicine commercials, you know? Yeah. Um, and, but they still tied it to the Titans. Beast Boy gets the hat. What happened to the hat? How did he lose it? Did I don't it even remember. Yeah, because all of a sudden he had it. Yeah, that's a shame. Because he was wearing it in the next scene, too, I think. Oh, maybe just got shot off or fell off as he was running. I don't know. <laughs> we maybe are like not... that the banner episode is him in the hat. Oh yeah, when he was like walking up to the robots, like we are yeah. not the 
the uh, heroes you're looking for or whatever. And then they're like, they're robots. Yeah. Yeah. And he grabs, he grabs Raven's cloak and puts it around himself. Yeah. <laughs> and I love after it doesn't work, he just flies by and just casually takes it back from him. Witch, show yourself. I await my master. Why must you vex me, old woman? I woke you from an eternal slumber to serve me. And that is my every wish. The creatures I sent, they were defeated, yes? But not by me. I asked you to make me a hero, but instead you send foul beasts I cannot vanquish. I ask you to send me the strength to defeat them, and you summon another warrior. Now he has been made champion, and I the fool. You are to fix this. As you wish, but know, my master, that every wish has a price. Next up is Cyborg the Barbarian. In this one, Cyborg is showing off all his new technology to the rest of the team. And suddenly he's just arbitrarily shot through a portal like 5,000 years into the past. And he lands in the middle of this huge battle between some barbarian people and these green slime creature things that, uh, quite frankly, they remind me of the creatures from Samurai Jack. Um, okay. And anyway, uh, he helps the humans beat the slime things, and the leader of the barbarians is a very attractive and formidable warrior named Saracen. And she anoints him as the tribe's champion at this point, much to the chagrin of this very large chap named Kroll. And Cyborg wants to help these people, but his power is running very low, and since he is 5,000 years in the past, you know, he can't charge himself or anything. Well, it turns out that Kroll is in cahoots with a witch, whom I believe they say he freed from some kind of imprisonment and now is bound by curse to serve him. And uh, it, Kroll winds up offering Cyborg a way home with the witch's help, but he Cyborg figures out that Kroll is responsible for the, all these green slime creature attacks on the barbarians camp because they're things that the witch is creating and he's or i should say the witch is creating them to make him look like some awesome hero but it's kind of backfired a couple of times so he's not very happy with the witch either and cyborg tries to attack him and he does start to get the upper hand but then kroll demands that the witch give him some more power and so she does in a, a very backhanded way by making these slime creatures like surround him and just absorb his body, I guess. They just, I, I don't know, they just kind of oh, swarm around him and turn him into one of them. And now he's like, like three times Cyborg's height and he beats the crap out of Cyborg because his power is too low now and Kroll just throws him off a cliff. And uh, the barbarians end up rescuing Cyborg when they see him floating down a river and uh, he awakens strapped to this hydroelectric rig that they created based upon seeing Cyborg try to charge himself with some makeshift technology earlier in the episode. Um, you know, Cyborg tries to help them prepare for the onslaught that's coming, uh, and Kroll indeed has this humongous army of these slime creatures that attacks the camp, and uh, they fight, you know, they fight valiantly, Cyborg and Saracen, but uh, they start to be overcome, but Cyborg does have enough energy left for one shot at Kroll, but at this, at, right as he's about to shoot him, Raven pulls him back into the present as he's firing the shot. And he's just, 
enraged and he's like, no, you know, send me back. You've got to send me back. But Raymond's like, look, it's, it's kind of a one way deal. And he's like, he's just so just dejected that he, he didn't help them. But later Raven shows Cyborg a history book. I believe it's a history book that uh, shows that Saracen actually did defeat Kroll in that humongous battle and that Cyborg was credited with helping them to victory. That's where it ends. You know, I would also add that she points out that in that picture, Cyborg's the only one without armor on. Yes. Uh, so we actually see his his human form, and uh, she Raven's like that. That's you. Why aren't you wearing armor? And what does he say? Uh, True warrior doesn't need it, or something like that, or uh, something like that. Right. I think he kind of echoes a line that uh, had had been said before. But yeah, yeah, that's this one. Um, let me just say, I think this is the best cyborg episode of the entire series. Really? Um, I, I love this one. I, I do you, you, are you disagreeing? It sounds like not, or? not necessarily. It's a, I really, it's a, good, a really good episode. I don't, mm. I don't know if I'd call it the best though, because, um, I think there's the, there's that one episode in season three and I forget the, uh, I think it was our first season three WFP episode. But I don't remember what what episode it was because there was I know there was one cyborg episode that was really really good that we both you know really were really high on. I think I like whatever that one was more. Okay, okay, yeah. I I just think this one has a whole heck of a lot of emotion to it. I mean, you know, he shows up, he doesn't know what's going on, and then he kind of resigns himself to being stuck, but he knows he's gonna die because there's no way he can get power, you know, but. You know, and then when he has the chance, you know, he kind of starts falling in love with, what's her name, Saracen? Mm-hmm. You know, starts to fall in love with her. He has a chance to go home, but he doesn't because he figure out what's going on. So he plays the hero, even though it might cost him his life. And it does because he is dead when he's thrown in that river. They save his life. And, you know, at the end, when he is getting what he wanted all along to go home, he wants to go back because he found a new home. And that's what I'm liking about what they're doing with Cyborg. He's always looking for a new home. You know, he's 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 not content with being on the Titans. Does he like the Titans? Yes. Does he love being on that team? Yes, but he's not content being there. He feels like an outsider. How can he not? You know, uh, being being more than half robot. You know, he quits in the first episode. He ends up leading the Titans of the East for a cup of coffee. And here he's he's content with being stuck in time. They're they're doing this they've created this really great arc. With with cyborg and uh, I think I think it really kind of culminates here. Um, I just I just love that that moment when he's screaming when they're plucking him back uh, to the future um, and when he yells at them to send him back and then when he looks at the book and he just sits down and starts reading it and when Raven walks away if you pay attention she's got this little smile on her face you know she knows she just made her friend happy yeah um, you know all that all that it's just just really deep emotional stuff I think. Yeah, I, I, you know, going on that when uh, when Cyborg's like, yeah, dude, great, you know, with the big thumbs up and everything, and she <laughs> takes off her mask, and he's just like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he's like, wow, <laughs> and then when she doesn't have her armor on later, and she walks into his little hut or whatever he's in there, he's like, wow, hmm, you're pretty <laughs> <Yeah>. hot, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I love the dynamic between them, though. All, all serious, in all seriousness, uh, they, I, they had great chemistry. The, uh, both the voice actors sounded like they were, they really were into this 
I don't, and I don't know who did the voice of Saracen, but uh, yeah, yeah. she did a really good job. Mm-hmm. She did. She did. Um, but, uh, but again, getting off the seriousness for a second, we have another mm-hmm. contender for line of the series. Evil beware, we have waffles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love Raven. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that is a good one. Um, <laughs> You know, again, sticking with the non-serious stuff, mm-hmm. um, I like when Cyborg, you know, he, you know how B- Beast Boy's always doing those, like, silly, cartoony kind of charts and stuff? Yeah. You know, Cyborg does one here, and when he pulls it down, there's a, there's a Planet of the Ra- uh, Apes reference on it, um, and there's also, not on it, but, like, after it, there's one. There's a reference to Frogger. Yes, um, yes. And if you pay attention to the score... The score is two. It's two five seven four nine five. That's the episode, the production slash episode number for this one. That's another one where they brought in uh, uh, an episode number. <laughs> um, but anyways, getting back to the chart that he pulls down or whatever. There's remember Warp, the time traveling villain. There's a baby version of Warp on that on that graph. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love when they do shit like that. You know, doing those. The so-called VCR now DVD gags, where you have to pause it to get everything. Going back to what I was saying in the in the summary there about the uh, the little slime creatures, I, I really think that was a nod to Samurai Jack because the, this whole episode is um, very similar to that show's backbone plot, where the hero is from another time period and he's being yeah. ambushed by these creatures. Yeah, it's been a while since I've seen Samurai Jack, but that yeah, I forgot that was the premise of it. You're right. Well, something else I really did enjoy about this one is that there's no B story. They don't cut back to the future, showing the Titans trying to pull Cyborg home. Mm-hmm. There, there's no B-boy antics, doing whatever the hell he's doing. It's just, you know, there's a framing f- sequence, yeah, but it's just Cyborg stuck in the Bronze Age. Yep. Um, and, and I'll use that as a segue, which I didn't totally intend. Um, there's a line where Cyborg says, monkeys or not, it's about time someone, uh, someone went Bronze Age on your butt. Uh huh. <laughs> you know, meaning he was going to, you know, he didn't care if it created a Planet of the Apes type world, the monkeys are not like now. There's potentially two references in that. One is the fact that he says he's in 3000 BC, which is the Bronze Age, the, you know, our Bronze Age. The other one is that Cyborg was created during the Bronze Age of comic books. He was created in 1980, and the Bronze Age ran from like 1970 or 71 through like 1985-ish. So I think it's a dual reference there. I would say it's a triple reference if you want, oh, okay. if you want to throw in Pulp Fiction, since... Um... God, I want to. I can't remember if it was. Uh, uh, fuck, who was? I can't remember the character. I just remember that line. Uh, I'm going to get me- medieval on your ass. Being yeah. Pulp Fiction. Yeah, that was. Uh, that, that wasn't Marcellus. That yeah, says it was that, I Marcellus. Think. I didn't think it was Vincent Vega. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I bet they were aping that line, and uh, just obviously cleaning it up. Yeah, just a, <laughs> a just a tad. Uh, what else about this one? Um, yeah, I don't know. It's. Like I said, it's a it's a very very good episode, and I mm-hmm. I probably don't like this one near uh, you know as, as much as you, but I mm-hmm. still would watch it any time because it is such it's a very very heartfelt episode, very sad mm-hmm. episode until Raven pulls that book out from wherever she got it. Yeah, and even then it's still sad. 
um, because Cyborg can never see them again. This woman he fell in love with is uh, is gone. How did I? You might be able to stop time, birthday girl, but you can't stop me. You can't stop any of it, really. I have to say, Raven, when I found out the truth, I was very impressed. All this time, I had no idea. The power lurking inside you. The glorious destiny that awaits. It's always the quiet ones, isn't it? But honestly, did you think you could just blow out the candles and wish it all away? Today is the day it begins. You've known this all your life. It is going to happen. And no matter what you wish, no matter where you go, no matter how you squirm, there is nothing you can do to stop it. Next up is Birthmark. Uh, in this one, uh, Raven, uh, she's all paranoid about this day for some reason. Uh, we don't quite know why. And uh, what is it? They go out and fight someone, well, don't the, they? The Dr. Light is up to Dr. Light, bullshit. That's it. Yeah, that's right. You know, they're fighting him, and he's trying to get away, and Raven stands in front of him and gets all spooky, and she's like, remember me? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love how she quote-unquote defeats him. And he's like, I would like to go to jail now, please. <laughs> and uh, she's like, let's get home. So they, they, they get her back home, and uh, they, they trick her to get her out of her room, and they've thrown her a surprise birthday party. And uh, she flips out. She's like, I don't want to party. Shut up. Blah, 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 blah. I mean, she is such a, t a temper tantrum that she destroys the banner, the cake, the party favors, everything. Um, we're not entirely sure what's going on, but it's like six hours to midnight, six hours to her birthday's up. And she says, you know, everything will be fine. Well, in the meantime, we've seen Slade resurrected. Mm -hmm. Uh-oh. Um, and as she's sitting in her room, some weird shit starts happening. She starts hallucinating, or maybe it's really happening. Uh, her room on fire and all this and that. And uh, Slate appears to her, doesn't he? Oh, I don't think Slate appears to her. I, I don't think, but I... Okay. But uh, whatever, something's happening. And uh, do the symbols start appearing on her yet, too? Uh, well, no, because Slade causes those to start. Oh, you're right, you're right. So whatever, some, something weird happens, and uh, the, the Titans have to run out of there. Uh, and uh, when they get to the building, they see Slade acting all nonchalant, like, Hey, guys, I haven't seen you since you killed me. Thanks. You know, <laughs> so they're all like, what the fuck? And uh, he starts, like, throwing fireballs and doing all this crazy shit. And they're like, when did Slade learn to do that? And, uh, you know, you know, the Titans are like, we're going to stop you. You're not going to get us. And he's like, I didn't come for you guys. And he's clearly going after Raven. Um, there's some major catastrophe in the uh, factory that they're fighting in. And uh, it pretty much looks like all the Titans are going to die. Uh, Robin's about to get crushed. Um, I forget what's happening to the other ones. Maybe they're not going to die, but Robin is about to be killed. And uh, Raven freaks out and stops time. And uh, she, she looks over at Slade and him having his new demonic powers. He just sort of steps... He unfreezes himself, and he's like, Howdy! So, <laughs> and I want Slade to talk like that. <laughs> but still in the Ron Perlman voice. But uh, anyways, uh, you know, Raven goes and grabs Robin, and she tells him what's going on. She's like, look, you know, when I was born, they told me 
that I was. What did she? Did she tell him the whole prophecy that she was going to bring about the end of the world and all that shit? Uh, no, I'm not I remembering. Think, well, she. God, I'm trying to remember what. She, I'm mixing in a lot of the end. That's why I'm having trouble. You know. Well, Robin's like. I mean, they're out in the street, and Robin's like, mm-hmm. "How is Slade back? How does he have these powers? What did that symbol on his head mean?" And but, but before Raven can really answer, Slade's right there, and then they start. I mean, he just lays waste to Robin and uh, starts chasing Raven all over the city. And this is when he catches her and burns some symbols into her body. After he like rips her clothes off. Well, that's later, actually. Well, okay, so, Jesus. Okay, see, I'm getting this all mixed up. I've got the gist of it, but yeah. She ends up crushing Slade between some huge chunks of pavement, and uh, she helps Robin, who's really, really in bad shape right now, and they they go into a church to hide from Slade, and she explains that when she was born, the, the I guess the monks of Azeroth, she just says they, but I guess it has to be the monks of Azeroth, mm-hmm. uh, predicted that something really, really bad was going to happen on this day, and before Robin can get an answer as to what the symbol on his head is, he bursts in, takes him out again, yeah. and then he starts chasing Raven again and catches her and slams her into the top building. And this is where he keeps repeating, the message must be delivered. And she tries to attack him again, but this is where he just shreds all of her clothes off. He actually makes time go forward because we see the sun and the moon set and rise, and her hair grows really long. Mm-hmm. Um, we could, yeah, we could assume that like here. months pass there. Pretty much so, you can, yeah. So you're right, all this time passes, and uh, wh- what does he say to her? What is the message? Just, I don't remember. That, oh, I'm trying to remember the, he just says, the message must be delivered. Uh, you're, this was the uh, world you were destined to create, and there's nothing you can do to stop it. You will destroy the world. That's right, and then they show how the world ends up looking in the end. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, uh... Uh, Slade kind of lets her be, and as he leaves, he turns around, he's like, oh, happy birthday. As he lets her fall <laughs> off of the building. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Robin swoops in and saves her. Um, let's see, they go back to the tower. Uh, Raven has trimmed her hair. She's put her clothes back on. And uh, the Titans have sheepishly thrown her another birthday party, and uh, Raven is willing to accept it this time, right? Okay, sorry I butchered that one, and thank you for jumping in to help me. No problem, it's a very, very uh, hard summary. <laughs> yeah, so uh, what were you thinking? Um, I absolutely love this episode. If I didn't love this episode, I wouldn't have used it in a music video. So, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's just intense as all hell. I, honest to God, can't believe they got away with this entire episode. I mean, mm-hmm. Slade essentially tearing off most of Raven's clothes. I seriously, I cannot believe they got away with that. Yeah. Yeah. And frankly, Slade had a major rapist vibe going on here with several of his lines. Mm-hmm. Just pay attention to mm-hmm. them and kind of read into them a little bit. Yeah. 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 But I mean, it's still, it, this, this episode is just fucking awesome. I'm trying to think what to add to that. Um, and I just have to echo everything you're saying so far. Um, I have to guess that anybody that was watching this in first run wasn't paying attention to any spoilers that might have been out there had to just be shitting their pants when Slade returned. Because, I mean, the guy died. You know, they've said he's dead. And then all of a sudden, here he is again, returned from the grave with demonic powers. Oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) Like, if you thought Slade was badass before, now he's a demon. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, and I mean, even though I knew he came back, I thought it was still super badass when his hand burst from the ground and he just crawls up and, 
Yeah, good stuff. Uh, the the whole church scene. Uh, have you have you ever seen End of Days with Schwarzenegger? I've seen clips of it, but never the whole thing. No. Yeah, the the uh, that whole scene is really really similar to the uh, the end scene in that movie. Uh, the the because um, the main characters they go to a holy place because uh, Satan's after this woman named York, kind of like Trigon and Slater after Raven, who is his child, just like Raven is Trigon's daughter, and it's the fighting sequence. Everything's really similar. I think it I think it had to be an uh, an homage to that. Could be, could be. I mean, but for all we know, this story was pulled from the comics too. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, this could have been a loose adaptation of something that came in the 80s. I really don't know. That sequence when Raven's uh, room is on fire or is seemingly on fire, mm-hmm. that might be some of the best animation I've seen in Teen Titans so far. Yes, it is. It's really hard to draw fire convincingly, get the coloring right, the flickering right, and it was just, it was scary. I mean, I know it was meant to be scary, but that's what I'm saying. It was scary. They did their job well, and I wish the rest of the cartoon, not just this episode, the whole series, could be animated that well. Well, I mean, it, this only gets better in the end. Yeah. I, it's it's awesome. It, it I love it because – and this is, this is why I enjoyed making that music video I did of this whole storyline so much. Is one of the big reasons is because it's so well animated, and it's just so intense. Um. Oh, something else I have to point out here. So, in the last episode, uh, Raven reaches through time to save Cyborg, and in this one, she stops time. Yes. I find it interesting that in two episodes back-to-back, they have her controlling or manipulating time. Um, I don't think they have her do it again, because that's a dangerous power to give someone. Yes. Because then it's like, wait, if they can stop time, why don't they do that all the time? And just pull everybody out of danger and then restart it. You, you, you know, you, you can't really do that. There's to be limitations on it. And there was in Cyborg where she said, look, that was a one-time thing or a one-way deal. And here, she doesn't even know how she did it. She says, Robin says, how did you do that? And she's like, I don't know. Yeah. Well, you got to admit, know? it is uh, much bigger than just kind of plucking somebody out of one point in time as opposed to right. stopping time altogether. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, uh, you know, I, I just like the fact that 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 they set it up with Cyborg, the Barbarian, and then had her do another time travel trick. Or not time travel, but time manipulation trick in this one. It was sort of like saying, oh, she can do this. Now look what she can really do when she needs to. Yeah. Did uh, Ron Perlman's voice seem a little altered? And I'm not, I'm not saying in a bad way at all. I just I think it's kind of cool that his voice was slightly, 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 maybe higher pitched. But I, I can... I can accept that because, you know, he is like a demon now. He died. So maybe his voice has changed a little bit. It's It was very subtle, but I think it was actually pretty cool. I'm not so sure I noticed that. Oh, I'll have to go back and uh, look for that. But yeah, maybe they're doing something. Maybe he's doing it. Maybe they're doing something in production. I don't know. I don't know, but it would make sense, as you said. I mean, he's he's demonic now. So things have changed. So you know we, we've sort we've talked about Slade being back, but what do you think about his return? Uh, that was fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah, and really, that was the hand reaching up out of the rock in the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, that goes back to your whole "oh my god, shit the pants" mm-hmm. kind of scary and yeah for, for like a kids' cartoon, and then at the very end where he's bowing to somebody when 
Okay, when Slade is bowing to somebody, you should be worried about who that somebody is. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. And not just bowing, but actually saying master. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Robin, you are leaving us? I have to. Dude, you got your butt kicked. It happens. Happens to some of us more than others. Anyway, it doesn't mean you have to quit. Yes, we will soon locate this Kataro, and then it will be you who is kicking the butt. I'm not quitting the team. But my fight with Kataro showed me how much I still have to learn about martial arts. No problem. I can help you train. I got a new computer simulated fight sequence in the gym. I've already trained with the best. And apparently it wasn't enough. There's only one person who can help me. You wish to learn from this true master of whom the villain spoke? I'm not coming back until I find him. What? Oh, come on, man. How do you know this true master is even a good guy? How are you going to find him? Do you even know where you're going? I'm not sure. Sounds like a plan. According to legend, the true master lives in the mountains on the other side of the world and can be found only by the most serious of students. I'm in. Uh, when do we leave? Uh, what should I pack? Will I need shots? This is going to be so cool. I have to go alone. Next up is the quest. Uh, in this one, Robin is taking on a very formidable martial artist named Kataru, uh, who I believe is trying to steal something. I can't remember... Was was he trying to steal something? I can't remember if that was what was going on. I think he steals that staff. Isn't that what he stole? That prob- I think that was it. Okay. Yeah. Well, anyway. Which is weird, because then at the end, instead of bringing it back, Robin gives it to, you know, <laughs> the yeah. true master. Yeah. <laughs> but, but whatever. But before that, uh, yeah. Kataru defeats Robin and says that he learned his his martial arts from the true master, and that unless you train with him, you will never be able to defeat me. Well, Robin is furious, and being the super serial guy that he is, uh, embarks on a quest to find the true master. And the rest of the Titans are like, that guy takes himself way too seriously. And uh, so Robin is next seen, uh, it has to be Asia, just speaking to an old woman whom he asks where to find the true master. Well, she says the true master will only see you if you leave all worldly possessions behind. No gadgets, no weapons, nothing. Robin does, but he says, look, the mask stays. And uh, so Robin starts his trek up the mountain, and he's first met by this very large bear, whom he introduces himself as one of the guardians of the mountain, him being the guardian of the river. And the bear tries to convince Robin to go back, since he is quite a bit larger than him. <laughs> uh, Robin's like, I've defeated guys much bigger than you. And he ref- so he tries to fight him, but the guardian more than holds his own against Robin. Basically, he just kind of falls on him like a... I don't know, like a Rikishi or a Big Show body splash or something. Um, and But eventually Robin does manage to defeat him. And during this, it should be noted that Starfire is missing Robin terribly. Uh, and Beast Boy has snuck into Robin's room and has put on one of the Robin costumes, and he convinces Starfire to do the same. Back on the mountain, we see that Kataru is following Robin in shadow. And the old woman is also traveling up the mountain and seems to be three steps ahead of Robin at all times. And uh, the next test Robin must face is inside a pitch-black cave where the second guardian of the mountain, a blind snake spirit, is present. And this is supposed to teach Robin about fighting without relying on eyes and ears. So he passes the test and exits the cave and go back to the tower and Cyborg is joined in the Robin dress-up fest. And they also convince Raven to join in. So Robin, meanwhile, meets the third mountain guardian, a monkey, and he defeats him on top of a bamboo field. 
and he reaches the temple on the top of the mountain. Unfortunately, Kataru, who has procured all of Robin's gadgets, ensnares him with the grapple line and says he never learned from the true master because he couldn't get past the guardians. So he just used Robin as a puppet to help him up the mountain the easy way. Robin is exhausted at this point, but he tries to fight him, and he's defeated, and he gets thrown down the stairs where the old woman is standing there and says, Get up. Your, only, your journey only ends when you say it does. And Robin's all moping over himself, and she's like, Look, there's always going to be somebody who tries to do things the easy way. You do things the right way. So Robin gathers himself, and he defeats Kataru with the skills he learned from the, the uh, animal guardians of the mountain. And the old woman, of course, turns out to be the true master, and she reprimands Kataru and says he will never receive training for her because uh, from her because he's a cheater and a thief. And so Robin begins his training with the master saying he takes himself way too seriously. So we go back to the tower. All the Titans are in, dressed up in Robin costumes, eating pizza and calling each other Robin. And Raven says, you know, wearing the mask makes me feel kind of cool. So Robin walks up behind her and uh, is like, hey, guys. And, uh, you know, Raven, uh, the mask makes me feel cool, too. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Um, this isn't a bad story. I didn't write a score down for it, though. I'm going to tell you why. Because I think the main story, we've seen stuff like this so many different times. And if you can't figure out that the old woman is like the true master, then I think you're like four years old. <laughs> You know, and you've never seen television and other cartoons and movies before. I mean, honestly, I'm more interested in the secondary story, and there's not even a story, really. It's just the Titans playing dress-up than I am in the main story. This has never been a, a favorite of mine. I mean, I don't think I'm going to judge it harshly, but I'm really just kind of, you know, ho-hum about this one. What about you? I, I like this one. Um, okay. I think the quest stuff is pretty cool, and the Titans Robin fashion show was hilarious. Um, mm -hmm. My major problem with this one, though, is logic and time. In what span of time did all of this happen? How did Robin get to what is obviously somewhere in Asia so quickly? How, mm -hmm. um, and just how did Cyborg fit into that Robin costume? Well, it's not fitting well. You can tell that. And he did have to use two belts. He did steal B-Boy's belt when he already had his own belt, so... But I see what you're saying, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, but here's another problem with time here. How much training did Robin do if he showed back up with the Titans still wearing the costumes? Did he train for, like, two <laughs> hours and then leave? <laughs> I never thought about that. That's great. Because I was going to be like, oh, he just used the T-ship, you know, and he made it there in, like, ten minutes, but you're right. <laughs> he just sparred with her, had a little dinner, and then returned home the next morning. Pretty much. That's what it looks like, because Raven's in the costume, and it's like she just put it on, like, ten minutes ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good point. Good point. Wow. Okay. <laughs> but I do love how when Beast Boy offers the costume to Raven, it's like a drug dealer talking to a middle schooler. It's, come on, you know you want to do it. <laughs> Peer pressure. Peer pressure. <laughs> and I, I, I like how she gives no indication of if she's going to do it or not. And then the next time we see her, she's just all dolled up like Robin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would have liked it if at least one of them did their hair like Robin, though. <laughs> With the spikes. I mean, you, you couldn't have Star do it. And Cyborg Cy can. Yeah, but Beast Boy or Raven could have done something. Beast Boy would have been the, the logical choice mm -hmm. there. I mean, I'm not going to hold it against the show that they didn't. I just think that would have been a nice little touch. 
Oh, something we didn't say is even Silky's in the costume, too. Yes, yes. With the cape and the mask and just chowing down on the pizza. Yeah, I mean, here, here's some, here, here's like a gripe I have about this one. You know, Robin takes forever to beat that bear. And there's a lot of time and energy put on him fighting the monkey. But the snake, it's like a 10-second battle. You know, Robin's like, I'm not going to fight you. You're blind. The Robin, the, the Robin, the snake puts out the, 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 the candle. Robin gets, he hears the snake going around him, closes his eyes, touches the snake, and he's like, I win. And the snake's like, you may pass. And yeah. that's it. Yeah, and I'm sorry, but he, Robin has had that training from Batman before. There's no way he hasn't. Exactly. Yeah, th- this story almost feels like it's, like, like, this is a quest Batman sent Robin on before he allowed him to come back to Gotham to fight as his partner. Yeah. You know what I'm saying uh-huh. there? Like, I've taught you all I can. Now you go out in the world and you find the true master. And then the true master is either inside Robin himself, sort of like in that movie, The Last Dragon, which I mentioned last episode, or it turns out to be the old lady at the foot of the mountain. Either way, yeah, this this should be part of Robin's origin and not like once he's already been Robin for a few years. Yeah. But something I did like about this one is in the beginning, uh, what's his name, Kataru? Mm-hmm. You know, he tells Robin, I bet you can't beat me in three moves. And at the end, that's exactly what Robin does. He beats him in three moves. Yep. Uh, now, granted, he comes back, but the true master stops him. So Robin did end that fight in three moves. Um, I thought I thought that was pretty cool. That Although it was kind of inverted because Kataru's like, if I can defeat you in three moves, I will give you the... I will give back what I stole and turn myself in. But, yeah, this the logic is the same thing. That, that is really cool. Yeah. Wait, Kataru says, if I can defeat you, mm-hmm. I'll give this stuff back? Yeah. Because he tries two moves, and Robin is able to fend them off, but the third move he does, uh, like, knocks Robin through two buildings or something. If I can defeat you? Yeah. I'll give it back? Yeah, Kataru says, if I can defeat you in three moves, I will give back what I stole and turn myself in. No, it's if if you can defeat me in three, or if I can't defeat you in three moves, I'll do it. Oh yeah, that's right. I mean, that's what I meant. Because it's if like I, I don't understand what. Yeah, yeah. sorry, I don't know that's sorry. what we're talking about. But yeah, if I can't <laughs> defeat you, correct. Okay. Okay. Uh, linking uh-huh. verb problem. <laughs> no problem. No problem. I'm glad we got that cleared up. But oh, did you notice at the end what Starfire was doing? Um, she was enjoying a tasty yellow beverage called mustard. <laughs> Again, on the table, a, j- a mustard jar with a straw in it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't notice I, that. I, I, I mean, I've never noticed all these little mustard references <laughs> that they keep throwing in with her. I love that little bit of continuity there. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Um, and then, of course, it has to be pointed out that uh, when Beast Boy, uh, when Starfire first sees him in the costume, you know, he pops out through that, like, I don't know, whatever, you, the hula hoop with the paper in it. And he calls. He says, "Call me Beast Boy Wonder." Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's a direct uh, reference to Detective Comics number thirty-eight, uh, the first appearance of Robin the Boy Wonder. The cover is the cover matches exactly what they drew in the episode, including the way Ray, or not Raven, Starfire is holding that hoop. Uh, you know, with her hand on her hip. That's exactly what Batman's doing. I mean, she's got a different look on her face. Batman's all proud, and Starfire's like, what the fuck is this? Um, <laughs> but, yeah, that whole thing, including the font in which it's written and everything, direct lift. Really, really nice touch there. Hey, this isn't a restaurant. It's a... It's a... What is this place? It is the Mothership Queen Human Worker. 
So this is where all the UFOs are coming from. Why are you here? And what are you doing to all these cows? In exchange for providing us power for our technology, we have replaced them in your food chain with a nutritious, meat-free substitute. Wait, you mean meaty meat is actually tofu? Not tofu. Nufu. Tofu comes from your planet's soybeans. Nufu comes from me. Next up is Employee of the Month. In this one, um, there's this old couple sitting on a farm, on a dairy farm, and uh, a flying saucer appears. A flying saucer starts flying over the cattle, and uh, it, it, uh, it seems to like lock on to one of the cows. And uh, back on the porch, the old man tears off his face, and it turns out it's Robin! And uh, the old woman next to him is Starfire in disguise, and uh, at this point, the, uh, the, the alien craft, it steals one of the cows. Uh, Robin orders the Titans to give chase. Uh, we see that Raven has disguised herself as a scarecrow, Beast Boy as a pig. He's been wallowing in the mud and the poop. And uh, Cyborg is in the cow, jumps out and uh, arms his gun and says, Mooya! Which I, quite frankly, have to say is probably one of the best lines of the program. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, uh, what do you call it? So they're they're all going after this flying saucer with uh, Cyborg, you know, in the cow, or actually ends up hanging on to the side of the flying saucer after a little while. And, uh, you know, Robin debuts this new hang glider jet boot thing. And uh, Beast Boy, he's trying to keep up in these various animal forms, but he just can't do it. He's just getting really tired. Well, eventually they chase the saucer back into the city, but uh, it's able to get away. And uh, they find themselves in front of a restaurant, and Cyborg's like, Hey, let's go to this place called Mega Meaty Meat. And Beast Boy's like, Hello, I'm a vegetarian. I'm not going to eat there. Well, Cyborg's like, Fuck you. And he grabs like 30 burgers. <laughs> and uh, they all go back to the tower. And, uh, you know, Beast Boy, he's, he's uh, marveling what we think is a centerfold of a girl, but it's actually a centerfold of the, what is it called, the Tidwell Turbo 3000 or something yeah, like that? Yeah, the Tidwell 3000, I think is what it's yeah. called. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's this moped that he wants, and uh, so he tries to convince Robin to buy it for him for the Titans, and uh, Robin's like, dude, you can fly, and Beast Boy's like, yeah, but my arms get tired, and uh, so he goes to Cyborg, and he's like, Cyborg, you know, you know, you, you've built the T-car, the T-ship, and you've got the Psy-Cow, um, you know, let's let's build my, let's build me a, uh, a, a moped, and Cyborg's like, I can't, I can't, buddy. I have to, I have to fix the cow up for the next battle. And uh, <laughs> so Beast Boy's still moping around, and Raven is like, you know what? If you want it, why don't you do what every other person does and just get a fucking job? And Beast Boy's like, oh, okay. So he goes around. Uh, what does he do? At first, he tries to test out like the Game Station Turbo Extreme Three, but he blows it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he passes Mega Meaty Meat, and he's like, no way. And because they have a help wanted sign, and then he uh, he tries to be a door to door salesman, goes to the, like a house that looks like the Brady Bunch house, and blows it up with the vacuum. And uh, after passing Mega Meaty Meat a few times, he finally resigns himself to well working there. 
And uh, he shows up, and he meets the manager named Bob, who's a very creepy guy who can never quite get B-Boy's name right. He's always calling him, like, Tony and Todd, and he even throws in some girl names. <laughs> and uh, Beast Boy's like, you know what? I, I'm sh- I shouldn't be working here. I got I got to go. And before he can go, Bob's like, hey, buddy, or hey, Bobby. Do you, well, I guess he wouldn't say Bobby, but whatever. You know, <laughs> do, do you like mopeds? And Beast Boy's like, what? And it turns out that... Um, they are going to give away a moped to the employee of the month. So Beast Boy, he uh, swallows his pride and he becomes an employee of Mega Meaty Meat. And, uh, you know, he gets no training from the creepy Bob. And uh, Bob's always hanging out in the back. And uh, from there, we quickly learn that Mega Meaty Meat does not sell meat. They sell what at first we think is tofu made out of Bob. And there's all these Bob clones. And uh, the flying saucers attack again, stealing more cows. Uh, the Titans, except for Beast Boy, because he has to work. Yep. Uh, they bring a flying saucer down, and uh, they crack it open, and they see there's a cow in there, and they think it's an alien cow. But Cyborg's like, no, that's an Earth cow, and it's not the pilot. It's the it's the fuel. And they're all like, what? Uh, they have no clue what's going on. Um Shortly thereafter, Beast Boy, he goes into the back when just everything in the front just gets hectic. He's looking for Bob because he needs assistance because Beast Boy is apparently the only person that really works here. And uh, he uncovers the truth about Mega Meaty Meat, that it is alien tofu, but not quite tofu because tofu is made from our soybeans. It's actually made from the source, and it's called Nufu. And it's this block of tofu and some sort of jar of liquid. And, uh, yeah... And so it keeps creating all these bobs and all this mega meaty meat. And he reveals that what they're doing is they're going to steal the earth cows, thus liberating them from, you know, what we do to them, which not to get on a high horse is kind of gruesome. But hey, don't get me wrong. I love cheeseburgers. But anyways, (laughs) um, so they're going to use them as fuel. And then when they leave earth, they're going to blow up the earth. Is there more to the plan than that? Um, no. I don't think Not so. Not at all. And Beast Boy's like, why blow up the Earth? And Nufu is like, it's our way. <laughs> <sighs> and uh, so the Titans are off fighting the Flying Saucers. And uh, Beast Boy, he's got to try to save the day. He's got to get the hell out of there. And uh, so what he does is he grabs the Nufu. And uh, he's going to run away. But he's like, no, I can steal the Tidwell. So he gets out of there. And he's riding around the streets, getting away from the Bobs. And uh, he takes the Nufu back to Titan's Tower. And uh, he starts uh, torturing it. And he's like, uh, hey, how about you tell me your plan? Or not your plans, but uh, how to stop you. And Nufu's all like, I'll never tell you. So Beast Boy throws a whole bunch of barbecue sauce on him and grabs a fork and a knife. And uh, <laughs> uh, he's like, you wouldn't. And uh, Beast Boy's like, try me. So he starts telling him, you know, that uh, Nufu reverts to its natural state, meaning the bobs will return back into this tofu stuff when they're covered in water. Um, so Beast Boy heads back out. And uh, in the meantime, he's thrown Nufu back in the fridge. And uh, he heads back out. We see the Titans in the background fighting the Flying Saucers. And Beast Boy, he has to shut down the bomb. He has to rescue the cows. He has to destroy the bobs. Uh, so he does those in varying various orders, with the bomb being the last one. And to stop the bomb, he just uh, drives the moped into it and then just turns off the switch. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's the end of that. All the Flying Saucers uh, turn back into Nufu. Uh, all the cows are set free. They go roaming around the city. The bobs are defeated. 
Uh, and at the end of the day, Beast Boy, he's got his moped, but no, it falls apart because he put it through so much. And uh, all the cows, not all, but a lot of the cows are living in the tower. And uh, Cyborg's looking at them and he says something. Uh, oh, that's a whole lot of cows. Ooh, time to eat. And uh, he, he then uh, heads off to go grab something to eat. And, uh, you know, I forget which member of the Titans is it, but so they're like, so what happened to the leader of the new Fu clan? And uh, Beast Boy's like, oh, he's in the fridge. And uh, we cut to Cyborg having clearly eaten the block of new Fu. The end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are you thinking? Wow, <laughs> I, 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 I don't even know what to say other than the fact that this episode is fucking hysterical. From, I know, just from beginning to end, the yeah. supreme creator source Nufu thing is the most hilarious villain ever. Mm-hmm. And the guy who did his voice was the voice of Raphael in the original Ninja Turtles cartoon. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> so I'd throw that out there. <laughs> um. Yeah, wow. I, I, this is so fucking funny. I, Beast Boy just shines so much in this episode. It's, it's just awesome. Really, this episode could have been a, an episode of the anime series Fooly Cooly because Beast Boy's outfit when he's riding the moped makes him look exactly like Haruko from that series. And she also happens to ride a moped with a monogram and an exclamation point on it. And okay. Evie also rides it in the crazy ways like she does. Oh. Had to be a, a reference to that show. Yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. This is like, this is like Mixie's pixelated for me. I, I just, I'll just throw it in to laugh my ass off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love this episode. In terms of comedy episodes, this is probably like second only to Fractured for me. Um, and whatever drugs they were doing yeah. when they came up with the idea for this one, man, pass to the left. <laughs> Jesus, like, whoa. <laughs> I want some of that shit so I can watch it, rewatch this episode and be like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, none of this makes any sort of sense. I know, and they just revel in the fact that none of it makes any sense. Uh-huh. And you just go with it because it's just good, silly just wacky, dare I say wacky fun. I think wacky is a very good adjective to use there. <laughs> yes. Um, what, God, what is it that um, uh, Cyborg says when he goes when he goes to see Beast Boy at the restaurant on his like, first day at work or something? He's like, I'll have four number fives, two number threes, one number two, two number ones, and a diet soda. <laughs> yeah, and it's yeah. like we don't have soda. Well, all we have is meat. Oh, well, then give me a cup of meat juice. (laughs) Speaking of that, something in that scene that I noticed is throughout this entire episode, Cyborg is the only Titan to ever eat the meaty meat. Yeah. Robin, I believe, picks up his burger, but he never bites it because his communicator goes off, I believe. Uh, So Cyborg is the only one that ever eats the new food. (laughs) Um, I will also say that um, when we first see Bob doing what he's doing, turning himself into the burgers. Mm-hmm. That is creepy. Yeah, just a, just a little bit. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then, I mean, all that's left him is, like, his head at one point. And it's like, whoa, and then another Bob pops out. I was like, oh, 
This is, I mean, little kids, they're going to laugh at this one, but I, this is also one where they're going to kind of cower behind their parents for a second or two. <laughs> it's primarily a comedy episode, but there's some horror. Don't, don't, don't you know, don't, don't, you can't say there isn't. Yeah. The voice of the, the, the Nufu leader it was just so awesome. Just yelling at Beast Boy. The, yeah. Their banter back and forth was just, it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You will suffer for your impudent screen, human! <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> uh, yeah. I have created enough Nufu for an army of bobs! <laughs> uh, now you know what we need? We need to get DW on so he can do the jigsaw voice. <laughs> so we can have his jigsaw versus your Nufu guy. <laughs> yeah. Fight to the death. <laughs> oh, go Nufu. Yes, yes. Uh, what else about this one? Oh, I I don't know. I just I don't know if I have any more notes. I really don't. It's just this this episode is not meant for taking notes. It's just not. No. You just you have to enjoy this one. If you don't enjoy this one, seriously, there there's something wrong with you. <laughs> Way to go, Tracky. <gasps> you do not call me that. But Val your calls you Track all the time. That does not make it right. What's up? I thought you said it didn't mean anything. No, I said it means nothing. When Valyor calls me Truck, he is saying that I am worthless. A nothing. Star. There are those on other planets who feel Tamaranians are inferior. Truck is what they call us. So he's calling you a terrible name. And you know that if you punch him out, it'll just confirm all the bad stuff he thinks about you. Yes. You know what it feels like to be judged simply because of how you look? Of course I do. I'm part robot. Let's go find Robin. Wait. Perhaps we should inform Robin later. He'd want to know now. And lastly up today is Trock. In this one, the Titans are playing Old Maid in the tower uh, when several spaceships zoom around the building and they see that one of one of them is being chased by the others very clearly, but the uh, solitary ship is managing to hold its own, and the pilot um, actually ends up outside his ship, uh, taking down the enemy ships with his bare hands, and the Titans start rooting him on, and they the heroic pilot lands on the ground and is met by the team, and he introduces himself as Valior, and the Titans introduce themselves one by one, and Valyar's really friendly to all of them, but he seems to be a little put off by the fact that they have a Tamaranian on their team. And he explains who the other ships belong to and what they're planning. They are a race of android-like aliens who want to dominate the entire galaxy, and Valyar is on a quest to eradicate them at their source uh, with this humongous bomb that he has in his ship. And the Titans are really eager to help this guy since... He's apparently some kind of intergalactic rock star. Hmm. And uh, they get up into space, and their ship is attacked, and the Titans of Valyar have to deal with these aliens inside the ship. But I think these are different aliens, aren't they? They're different. They're not the, the aliens they're going to destroy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, these they are, are. What, Crixies? Is that what they were called? Yeah, yeah, okay, they're the okay. same ones. Yeah. Um, so... Well, as the fight's starting to wind down, um, Starfire blasts one final alien to save Valyor, and it ends up clunking into the bomb and almost activating it. And Valyor just lets loose on Starfire, yelling at her. And, 
later she wants to apologize to him, and he just turns his head and says, I don't need any help from a stupid truck. Uh-oh. Starfire is aghast at what he just said. So later at a briefing before their final attack, Starfire sits off to the side instead of being at the main table with everybody else. And, um, Valuer ex- exchanges some very unpleasant words towards Starfire, though they speak to each other in a way that the Titans don't pick up on the animosity that's going on between them. And uh, part of this plan involves uh, the ship flying through a colossal minefield hovering over the planet that they're about to attack. So Valuer suggests that Starfire fly out into space and actually move the mines so that they can pass through. And the team's like, uh, are you fucking kidding? It's way too dangerous. And Starfire's like, no, no, I'm going to do it. And before Starfire's about to fly out of the ship, Cyborg talks to her, and and he asks her what Troc means, and Starfire just says it means nothing. So Starfire leaves, and the whole time you can tell that Valior is just hoping Starfire is going to be annihilated by these mines. Uh, but she manages to get the mines away uh, and get one away from the ship before it explodes. And the team's all worried that she's been vaporized, but she is perfectly fine. And Valior is, you can tell, very displeased. <laughs> um, when Starfire gets back in the ship, Cyborg greets her like, Way to go, Traki! And Starfire just screams at him, You don't call me that! And Starfire's like, Uh but I thought you said it didn't mean anything. And Starfire says, no, I said it meant nothing. What Valior is calling her is this terrible insult towards Tamaranians uh, by other beings in the cosmos who view Tamaranians as inferior. And uh, Cyborg says he knows how it feels to be looked upon with disdain for being different. And so they go to talk to Robin, and they quietly tell him about how Valior is treating Starfire, and he is just livid. So... Before he can go walk up to Valior and give him a piece of his mind, Starfire says, no, look, our mission is more important than my feelings. So they go to the surface, and Starfire accompanies Valior to uh, the ultimate objective, despite his vehement protests. And they reach the core, and Valior activates the bomb, but he gets caught in this force field thing, and Starfire rips the force field open and is like, dude, take my hand, you racist fuck. But um, anyway, no. But he he refuses, so she just grabs him and flees with his unconscious carcass back to the ship. And uh, back on Earth, Valuer thanks the team, but Robin demands that he thank Starfire since she's the one who saved you. And uh, he thanks her in these backhanded compliments, and Robin's like, you know what, dude, you need to go. And don't come back. Valuer insults the team and leaves while Starfire says, look, don't worry about her. There's nothing you could have done to stop his feelings or his words. Some people are just douchebags. What do you think? This, I mean, is easily one of the best, most daring episodes that Teen Titans has has done and will do. You know, I mean, there's been other ones where they've suggested things like Raven and the whole sexual aspect of what was going on between her and the dragon guy. Um, Starfire and her puberty, which we're going to get back to in a little bit, actually. What was the other? There was another Starfire one. Uh, something about PMS, if I remember correctly, right? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Well, actually, I thought yeah. that was Raven too. Was it Raven too? I think it I don't was. remember. But you know, I, they they have these little messages, but they're all they're all couched in something else. Here, it's just no. Valior is a douchebag. He's a racist, and the Titans have to deal with it. But they can't do it until this mission is over. There's there's no hiding behind anything else. They're just they're just being absolutely out there with. Uh, 
with this, and I, I applaud them for that. I always applaud them when they do stuff like this. So, yeah, I, I, I love this episode. I, I could watch this at any time, absolutely any time. Uh, what about you? I agree with you to uh, to a point, um, but I am a little confused here because what was the ultimate goal of this? Uh, I mean, in terms of the plot, what were the characters trying to do? Destroy the Crixies. They were trying to annihilate an entire species. Yeah, you know, that's that's a problem I have with... Like, let's, we'll just say DC Comics in particular, because we're focusing on the DCAU. Like, Batman won't kill, but he'll kill aliens. Yeah. You know, so that's basically saying, I mean, if I were Superman or John, I'd be looking at him and being like, that means you'd kill me if, if I went rogue, because you view yourself as a higher species, you know? And we got the Titans doing the same thing here. Yeah, Valior is telling the truth. These things are a conquering race. They are potentially going to come to Earth to take it over, but they weren't heading there. They were just following Valyor there. Um, so it is a little weird that we do watch the Titans kind of commit genocide. Well, yeah, and, and it's they just so readily go along with it for really what reason? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, this guy, they're like, oh, they're just starstruck by this guy. It's like, oh, you want to kill all these? Oh, I, yeah, I know they're androids, so... You know, it's like well, they're like cybernetic, though. Right? Yeah, they're. I mean, cyborgs just stepped up and been like, "Hello, remember me, the guy with the metal parts?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's just it does it bothers me that they would just go along with this so eagerly. Yeah. But beyond that, that that is something I'm going to take off of this episode for. Don't get me wrong. But mm. beyond that, this yeah, this episode is phenomenal, and I really appreciate the way the episode ended because. Mm. Really, very rarely does an outcome like sins of the of the fathers actually happen in real life. Because most racist motherfuckers are going to stay racist motherfuckers. They're not just going to become shiny, happy, tolerant people like Richie's dad did. Right. So I do. I really appreciate the way it ended. And uh, I got to tell you, th- this guy Valior looks like a combination of Major Force and Captain Planet. Yeah. And quite frankly, that hybrid is one of the scariest fucking things I can think of. <laughs> Earlier, I had said we'd come back to the whole Starfire puberty thing. If you notice when um, Major Planet, is that what we're going to call him <laughs> Captain right, it Force? Was, it was Starfire because it was that episode where she gained the new powers. That's right. But, uh, you know, the, the puberty one, uh, you know, she flies off to those, all those alien worlds. In this one, when he's showing all the uh, slides, basically, of the planet the Crixies have, like, dominated, all the things, all the alien races he's showing are the ones that Starfire saw in that episode really yeah there's the things with the spikes on their necks the things with the big feet the things with the nails and the just the big-headed green aliens they were all the all the alien creatures we've seen before from that one episode wow very neat a nice nice little callback yeah i mean i I, seriously i only have like two notes for this one well this is one of those ones where we we knew it was coming up most mm-hmm. most of the people who like Teen Titans know about this episode, know what it, what the message is, and you know it's it's not one that needs to be heavily you know you know uh, delved into. I guess. No, all you can do is say, look, this is the message. Let's talk about the message and how did they deal with the message? And for my money, they did the perfect job with it. You know, they start out kind of slow, being a little subtle, where he kind of raises his eyebrow and he's like, I see you a Tamaranian on your team. And the first time he drops the word truck, 
it's he couples it with stupid truck. Yes. And they were very they were very wise to do that. So this way he's not just like even in a raised voice, you know, something something track. You know, it's like, well, he's given everybody nicknames, maybe that's just a nickname. But because he says stupid there too, we realize, okay, this is really bad. Whatever he's saying to her is truly, truly bad. So that was wonderful how they got from point A to point B. And then of course again having Cyborg be the one to approach her. Yeah, they're like, hey, look at me, I'm, I'm a robot, but that's not really what they're saying. You know, I mean, they specifically had the African-American character talking to her about racism for a reason. They just didn't, they just couldn't go that far. You know, they could go so far and they couldn't, maybe the censors wouldn't let them or they censored themselves or they just made that decision, whatever it is. They said, we're not going to cross that line, but it was clear why they had him be the one to talk to her. Yeah. And if you'll you notice, uh, he said, um, I know you want to punch his lights out, but that would only confirm his misguided feelings towards you. Exactly. Another great line they had to th- that they threw in there, which was it just added another layer onto the awesomeness. I, I see no flaws in, in the message they were saying or how they handled it. None at all. And then with the closing line, where Starfire at the closing line, but the line at the end where Starfire is like, "You may not care about me, but I care about you," or something yeah, like that. You may not value saving. value my life, but I value yours. Right, and then she saves him, and as you said, we get to the end, and he hasn't learned a lesson, none at all. You know, now he thinks Earthlings are like trucks, and he's going to start calling Earthlings by some racial slur, and it's just going to start all over again. This guy's learned nothing. Nothing. Which is, like, 99% of the time what what real life is going to be like, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Do you want to say anything else, else about this one? No, no. I've said my piece. Okay, let's see. What are we going to give the Lost episode? I, like I said, I don't have a grade for this one. I, <laughs> I don't know if you can grade this. It's just 12 minutes of really very, very little. Yeah, well, let's, let's give it a score anyway. Uh, all right. Uh, three. I give that one a four. Uh, episode 257494. That one, okay, like I, I said, I was going to give it an automatic 10 for the Wile <laughs> Coyote. No, I'm yeah. not. But it still gets an 8. Hilarious episode. <laughs> that gets a 7 from me. Cyborg, the Barbarian. That also gets an 8. That gets an 8 from me as well. Birthmark. 10 out of 10. <laughs> uh, I'm going to give that one an 8. Uh, the Quest. Really, in my own mind, I feel like I'm undergrading this because I do like this one, but I'm going to give it a six. Um, I didn't write a score down for this one, but I, too, am going to give it a six. Let's see. Employee of the month. <laughs> I don't feel bad giving this one what I'm about to give it, but I'm giving it a ten. It's, it's <laughs> God damn it, it's fucking comedy at its finest. You know, I wrote down an eight because I was afraid to write down a ten since I already gave Fractured a ten. <laughs> and I just gave Birthmark a ten. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Like I said, to me, this is the second funniest episode behind Fractured with Larry and all. So yeah, I'm gonna give this one a ten as well. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I can't wait. I can't wait to see the the feedback on that on the yeah. stories. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so uh, what about Trock here? Uh, like I said, it, it's not gonna be perfect because I think the Titans going along with that total annihilation of another species thing was really not yeah. good. So that yeah. bumps it down a point, but it's still getting a nine. Yeah, I agree with what you just said there. It's a nine. No! Yes. Look at it. Drink it in. Behold the world you are destined to create. 
This is just a vision. This can't be real. This is the future. Your future. It began the day you were born, and nothing can stop it. This will come to pass. I will make sure of it. You're going to destroy the world, Raven. It's written all over your face. No! form of emails can be sent to feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. That's feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. Our voicemail number is 731-WFP-WFP0. 731-937-9370. And don't forget about our store, which can be found at earth2.net slash store. earth-2.net slash store. Next time on World's Finest Podcast, we'll discuss four more episodes of Teen Titans, those being The Prophecy, Stranded, Overdrive, and Mother May I. For James Doe, I'm Michael David Sims saying thank you for listening to World's Finest Podcast. Mm-hmm.